Good morning, Christ Central. Good morning. It's glad to be here. Um, before I get started, I just want to say the kids was rocking this morning, weren't they? What? I love their excitement, their courage. Um, and I always say if adults would come in like kids, we would have a lot funner time in the house of God. I love it. Um, also, just want to shout out my wife's here. My mom. It took a lot for me to pray to God. I would rather be with my wife. And I was like, Lord, help me get here because I ain't seen her in a while. But, um, and I want to shout out the football team, man. Thanks for coming. Uh, I really want to honor, they don't even know they've been blessing my soul, um, moving from Delaware and getting acclimated to the campus and um, just learning Durham per se. Uh, one day I just walked into the coach's office and Coach Eastman, their head coach, he kind of just, you know, I met with him, we kind of connected, and uh, he's been doing FCA on Mondays, and uh, he's been teaching lessons. I've done a couple, but he's definitely been a servant to me, and I I'm glad to serve the team. I just want to say you guys are amazing, and uh, they're men of character, so, you know, integrity and character, so thank you. I I'm willing to say thank you to them also. Um, let's, let's get into the Word of God. We're coming from... Exodus, 20th chapter. Uh, we're going to be starting the 17th verse. Let us stand. And it reads, And you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbors. We all know that the heaven and earth will pass away, but the Lord's word will stand forever. You may be seated. Now, Christ Central has the pleasure of having two wonderful pastors, Pastor Daniel and Pastor Tim, and they have been doing a great job with this series on the Ten Commandments. Am I correct? You guys getting blessed? And while doing sermons on this series, um, the last couple of series that have, they have come to preach has dealt with, you know, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. These particular commandments a lot of times deal with the outer action from the outside and how it affects us and how those different choices may cause harm to others. But something about thou shall not covet actually deals with the inside. It, it deals with the corridors of your heart. In Deuteronomy, where they go over the Ten Commandments again in the fifth chapter, it actually says thou shall not covet thy neighbor's wife or desire your male servant, and then it goes down to list. Now, if you don't know, to covet means to pant for, to, to want what somebody else has. And desire means you probably looked at it, you thought about it in your psyche, you dealt with it in your heart, and you know what? You just say, I want that thing. And then from there, you make all these decisions, the choices that you make, so that you can eventually go and get it. But in Proverbs in the 16th chapter, I believe it says that, you know, a way seems right to man, but the Lord judges the motive of our hearts. See, covetedness deals with our motives on why we did it. It deals 
on the inside, which people may not see or, or get a clear picture of, of why you got where you went. Is it for your glory or is it for God's glory? It deals in those spaces that you don't show people. It deals in the deepest parts of your hearts and minds. Now, to give a good illustration of what covetousness is, is, we go to 1 Samuel, if you look through the ninth and the 10th chapter, we have somebody known as Israel. And that's not somebody, it's a nation by now. A nation known as Israel. And, and Israel has made it to the promised land. They, they made it to the place where God told them it was going to be filled with milk and honey. But when they made it there and they kind of settled, they start looking around at other nations. And when they start looking around at other nations, they seen that the nations had a king. See, they looked at them and said, you know what? I want a king like they want. I, I want somebody to represent us. I want somebody to stand up tall, you know, look like something. And I could imagine that their king had to be, you know, ripped, tight abs. He had to stand tall. You don't want a wimpy king, right? The man has to look great. So I like to call Saul, who was the king that was anointed, the first one of Israel, I like to call him Laronitis. Now, if you don't know who Laronitis is, it comes from the movie of 300. Now, I watch Netflix. So the movie 300 had, is, is one of my favorite movies, and the king of Sparta is called King Laronitis. Gerard Butler, this man is stacked. <laughs> I'm talking about everything's bulging, the, the abs, and, and, and he is definitely, man, that's what I want my king to look like. But in looking like that, the scripture goes on and tells us that Saul stood over everybody, that he was handsome man. He probably was stacked like Laronitis. But once he was anointed king, the first thing he did was hide. He didn't really want to mantle. But then when he walked into the mantle, this is the same exact Saul that when it came time to be obedient to God's way, guess what he did? He was disobedient, and the kingdom was tore from him, and that's how we get to David. I say that to say this, that many times when we pant after something, when we desire something, and, and we don't seek out the Lord, we just want it because, you know, we see others having it, whether it's a better job. Maybe your marriage is not doing well, so you see some other person, and you're like, oh, I wish my husband or something was like that, or, or maybe when you pant after somebody's home because you don't live in the same house, right? You want something bigger. You want something better. Maybe you're panting after somebody's gift or their education, right? So what happens is you create your own saw. And in creating your own saw, it may look good. It may act like it's good. It may think, you may think it represents you well. But guess what? In the end, it is actually disobedience towards God. It will eventually fail. Now, it is amazing to me that this nation called Israel would want what others wanted. You want to know why? They already had a king. They already had what we call the king of kings, the Lord of lords. They, they had the peacemaker, the waymaker. They had the best of the best. The, the God who chose them, who was serving them, was the same God that took them from bondage, slavery, and Egypt was the same God that walked with them cloud by day, 
fire by night was the same God who clothed them when they needed to be clothed. It was the same God who fed them when they were hungry. It was the same God who gave them water when they thirst. It was the same God who brought joy to their hearts when they were sad. And it's the same God who forgiven them from sin after sin after sin. They had the best of the best. But you know what covetedness does? You, you know how it blinds us? It makes us think that our decisions is bigger than God. It makes us think that our desires, what we want, actually fills that space in our heart, actually fills that space in our mind to say, you know what? I don't need God anymore. I, I can push him to the side. I want what I want. And, and, and whose glory does that go to? It goes to our glory as humanity. Father, no longer is it not my will, but your will be done. It's my will be done. Sorry, Father, your your will doesn't even matter to me. Let me put that in the back burner. Covetedness says that Jesus is not enough. Now, I don't know about you, but I've struggled with this myself. Sometimes, you know, I don't seek him. I don't look for him. In my decisions, I just make it and say, you know what? I want that thing. And I can relate to Israel and I can say, you know what? I want a representation of me that this world can be satisfied of. So I got to walk in a certain economic status. I got to have a certain house. So maybe I want my marriage to look like my marriage is fine. Thanks, babe. Love you. Um. I might want a different car. My car keep breaking. Do you get what I'm saying? That, that disease of more, that disease of covetedness, and next thing you know, it gets all built up, and in the end, it leaves you in an empty spot. Guess what? Saul left Israel destroyed. His decision to be disobedient to God's will caused, caused all types of turmoil, all types of shame, all types of pain. And, and what I love is Samuel, the prophet who anointed him, he, he thought it was him. He blamed it on himself. And God says, hey, hey, Samuel, it's not you. They actually hurt me. Covetedness doesn't necessarily hurt you, even though it does. But guess who it hurts the most? It hurts the heart of God. It hurts the heart of God. You're telling God, I don't need you. You're telling God, yeah, you're my father when I want you to be my father at the particular time that I actually need you to be my father. But guess what? You don't fulfill every area of my life. You don't fulfill, you know, this section or that section. And guess what? God says, I'm hurting. That hurts me. He wants to fulfill every aspect of your life. You don't need the saw in your life. You need God. There is an answer, which I love because I need an answer, because I deal with those things myself. See, the reverse of covetedness where, you know, I want what you have or where I'm looking at somebody else and I'm not satisfied and I just want more and and I want to create my own glory um, is something that Paul wrote about in Philippians and it's called contentment. It is called contentment. And, And Paul in Philippians 4, he lets us know in the 11th verse, hey, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am in, I will be content. Then he goes on to say, whether I'm a base or a bound, he says, 
whether I'm high or low, no matter where I am at in life, whether, you know, at this time he was actually in jail, he was actually in the worst of the worst. He, he said, I can be content. You know why he can be content? Because he had Jesus Christ. Jesus was all that he needed. See, when Jesus died on the cross, right, and he saved us from our sins, you know, the spear in the side, you know, the thorns across his head and, and, and you know, the blood running down and those particular things. He went down in the grave, rose on the third day, sit on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He brought back the Holy Spirit, which resides in your heart as a believer. Amen. He said, I will fulfill every one of your needs. All I need you to do is trust me. Let me fill that space. See, whether you got the best job or the worst job, you can be content. Why? Because you have Jesus. Whether you you are in a place where you feel like you belong or whether you're in a place where you need something else, guess what? You can be content because you have Jesus. Whether your kids is driving you nuts or whether they're the best kids in the world, you can be content because you have Jesus. See, Paul was the perfect example, man. Paul was the same guy who wrote this while being in the jail, was the same guy at times where people wanted to, you know, follow him and say, I roll with Paul. I love Paul. He's my teacher. He said, I'll be content. And then it was the same guy who got stoned on a multitude of times. And guess what? He said, as long as I got Jesus, I am content. He wasn't looking to the left or the right. He wasn't looking at somebody else or materialistic things. Guess what? He knew that in Jesus, he had absolutely everything. All contentment is, is coming to the conclusion that Jesus fills every area of my life. Jesus fills every area of my life. Sometimes as Christians, we think God can only be glorified in the way we want him to be. But don't you know, in any point in your life, God can be glorified as long as you just be content in him and do the work he wants you to do. Now, I have something to say before I end, man. I my family surprised me this morning, and I was up at like 6.30. My son, Andrew, gets up. He comes in there like, Dad, I need a tissue, right? And then he goes, Dad, I want to wrestle. 6.30 in the morning, son, I got to preach. I can't be beat down. You know, I don't say that, but I'm thinking that, right? So he goes back into the room. He lays down. You know, I'm getting myself together. He comes back out. Well, now he, my nieces is here too, so he got the, my nieces, right? So he goes, so I hear them, Uncle Boat. They call me Uncle Boat. Uncle Boat. And then he's like, Dad, we want to wrestle. It's 7.15 in the morning. I got to preach, right? What, what, what is going on? So, of course, since I got to satisfy, man, I love my son and my nieces. Of course, I'm up in the morning wrestling in my apartment. They jumping on me, elbowing me, kneeing me, and that's cool. They got to learn how to, you know, self-defense class. I guess I'm the, I'm the punching bag, right? So, of course, you know, I, I got to let them win. 
But I've learned something through this example this morning. It smacked me in my face. See, what I loved about my son and my niece is they weren't worried about what other people were doing, but their sole focus was to get my attention and say, I want to wrestle. And I'm like, they didn't care what I thought, right? They couldn't compare themselves. They, they couldn't look to the side and say, I might want that better, or I might. They just wanted time with Uncle Bo and Dad. So how can we deal with this thing called covetedness? You know what you need to do? You need to just focus your attention on Jesus. Just like they wanted to wrestle, and their whole sole focus was to wrestle with me early in the morning, guess what? When you're dealing with that thing, you need to put the blinders on, and you just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, you're my joy in a time of sadness. Jesus, you're my forgiveness in the time of shame. Jesus, you're you're my smile when I don't feel like smiling. Jesus, I'm just going to focus on your will. I'm going to focus and get down in your scripture. I'm just going to focus with you. The more you focus on Jesus, the less time you have worrying about covetedness. The less time you're worried about, man, am I compared to them? No, Jesus says, you're my child. You don't have to worry about those things. Just keep your mind stayed on Jesus. And I'll end like this. The, the praise team, man, they sing a song that I love. And I think it's the greatest example of contentment. It's called It Is Well With My Soul. And in one of the verses, it goes, whatever my lot I love that part. That's basically saying, wherever I am at in life, you know, maybe I didn't reach or maybe I'm I'm stuck in a place where I feel like it's the worst of the worst or I don't know. But it says, wherever my lot, you know, wherever I'm at, it, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my Soul, contentment means it is well, Father, that I have you to fulfill my life in my soul, no matter what's going on around me, and I'm satisfied in you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father God. I'm just grateful that your name is above all names and and that you chose us and that you love us with a love that we could never imagine. Father God, I, I think at the heart of this thing, all of us deal with a desire of some time to just go against your way and not be satisfied in you. I pray that you forgive us, Father God, and let us find the joy in seeing that you fulfilling our hearts is all that we need. Give us hearts of contentment, Father, in Jesus' name.